0: Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed.
1: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine. erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.
2: Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham.
0: Watch out for bats and wolves and androids. It's episode 404 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and oh, it was such a great week for TV this week, wasn't it? We had Raised by Wolves season two that premiered on Thursday. And yeah, guess what? I got a chance to catch up with the cast of the show, both Abubakar Salim and Amanda Collin, who have been a member of the cast from the beginning, and also some new faces as well, like Kim Engelbrecht and selena jones and aaron guzikowski as well who's the creator of the series so many great things that they're going to tell you about this upcoming season if you have whether you've started watching it yet or not also hey pretty big week for batwoman fans huh got a chance to catch up with this week's director cameras johnson about broken toys if you haven't seen it yet don't worry it's gonna be spoiler free but man just hearing his energy about this episode the fact that he got to direct such a big one and be a big part of it his member of the cast as well Can't wait to dive into that with him. Yeah, you know, Batwoman fam, I got you covered there. Plus, I mean, Reacher started streaming on Amazon Prime Video this week. I'll give you my spoiler-free review of that. Also going to talk about Murderville from Netflix. And, I mean, Titans is in the nerd news this week and so much more going on. I think we should just get started, right? Raised by Wolves is now streaming on HBO Max. I'll talk to the cast and creator next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
1: This is Matt Ryan from Constantine City of Demons, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy
3: Podcast.
0: Time to head off to the tropical zone. The second season of Raised by Wolves is now streaming on HBO Max, and I got a chance to sit down to one of the creators of the series and the amazing cast of the show to kind of get you ready for this second season, whether you've already started watching it or not. This will be spoiler-free, so you don't need to worry about that. And who better to start off with? then mother and father themselves abubakar salim and amanda collin were the first to join me to talk about the show abubakar amanda how are you guys doing very Hi. good how are you so wonderful to talk to you and i'm doing amazing so that was a heck of an ending to the first season wasn't it i mean, I mean mother and father think they're they're about to sacrifice themselves now maybe they're in paradise with the second chance so where would you say the relationship stands as we start this season
1: man i think it's it's on it and it's in a space where there is again it wasn't planned right so I think there is so much more to explore and to expand on in season two you know our mission was to almost just to to finish it to really kind of finish not only ourselves but the you know protect our children to then be spat out on the other side of the planet to a degree into the tropical zone it's it it puts a spanner in the works and kind of puts us in a place of like oh wow okay well what's what's next which Mm. is again quite terrifying but also exciting
4: yeah and potentially have put them in even more danger than they were before right so there's a lot of restoring and and regaining control of the situation at least from mother's side of side of things i think father he's just like hey second chance great (laughs) who's out there but for Mother, every new living person, every new button that she sees, like every every new thing is some sort of threat to her state of being, I guess.
0: Hard to argue with that. I mean, given what you guys have both gone through on, on the show, that certainly makes sense. I, I want to talk about the trust here for a second. I feel like that's a very apt name because I feel like the trust between mother and father is something that, that's very interesting going into this season. So I, I guess uh, for a lack of a better way of putting it, how much trust is there in the trust?
4: Well, I don't know from your side of who actually. Do you trust
1: I, the trust? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I do to begin with. I think there is a, there is a feeling of there is justice or that you know, it can bring justice to the space. I think that you know' I'm, I'm sort of of the mentality of like as long as the children are safe, then we're fine, and you know it takes a village to to raise children, so I think we're all right, but I don't think I know that you have an interesting relationship with the trust as this, as the season develops, right? Amanda? Like Yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I <laughs> to say better. the least. <laughs>
4: As <laughs> I play yeah, mother. No, and... no not no? the way you think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you can understand why you'd be paranoid. like <laughs> his character is say. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. I think there's a deep want in mother to really give all her trust to the trust. But I think there's also like 1% of instinct that's like something's off right and we all know that feeling of so wanting to especially as grown-ups like we we've been talking a little bit about the responsibility in life and the need to place it somewhere else the need to place it in astrology or religion or in politicians or to have an opinion that you can cling on to because then you are justified in a way of your actions and I think uh, there is no such thing actually in, in, in life. There's only you and us and us as a whole or you as an individual but there is no thing or no entity where you can sort of place the responsibility and that's a really interesting subject to discuss and the way Aaron does it so delicately in the show I just I appreciate it so much and I appreciate going through those themes with myself and with the story and yeah um so I'm I'm super excited about I I was so excited about the trust because like a quantum supercomputer who has all answers to I mean can you imagine only based on data, that should be pretty easy to trust.
0: Definitely cranking the sci-fi up to 11 on that one. That's for right. sure. From the beginning, Campion's been one of my favorite characters on the show, no doubt about it, but we've all we've also seen mother and father disagree on what's best for Campion in the past. Could that also be true going forward here in the second season? And how much pressure is he under in this season now that he's a little bit older?
4: Well. Cambion is definitely mother's favorite. (laughs) Mother's (laughs) son. Do you even care about Cambion, father?
0: Of course I do. (laughs)
4: What what are you talking about?
0: (laughs) Ah. (laughs) They had some bonding time last season. They had a little bit of bonding time.
4: Uh, I think he's under enormous amount of pressure. I mean, just the fact that he's a teenager in space and that he lost all his siblings and trying to connect with his new ones and that he has very pure instincts and, and a good gut feeling like he's like, he he can't harm animals. And he's like, he's a sweet kid. And he's feeling love for the first time or interest in like, you know, so there's so many things happening while he has a mother who's like, dude, you need to rule this planet, <laughs> right? That must be a huge amount of pressure. And I think, yeah, just to compare it to real life, I mean, not that, that mothers or fathers or parents in that state think that, that their children are going to rule the world, but to some extent, there are always going to be expectations from parents to children. And I think yeah. that's a very interesting topic to take up as myself being a parent that, a really good parent is a parent with no expectations, really, right? I think, yeah, I mean, I think it, that's what it I com- think.
1: It comes from a place of wanting the best for your child, right? And I yes. think like that's ultimately what, it's, what it is. It's like you you want, you want the best for them. And I think Campion definitely has a lot on his shoulders, not only in season one, but now even more so in season two, just because of the new society that he's, he's in. He's a native of this world. He doesn't carry the baggage of Earth. He, you know, the, he's he can actually technically be the perfect leader for you know a new society. But again, whether that's what he wants or whether he doesn't is is up to him.
4: But what is the best for your children, right? I mean, and
0: then there's that. That's no it. Yeah,
1: there you go. I have no idea. That's the thing.
4: No, but no, but that's the thing. Like, have any like ask any grown up what you would have just wanted from your parents, and it's probably just trust and love. Like, I got this. Yeah. You know? Right. And so,
0: and maybe a little bit of savings for therapy. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's that.
4: Other than that. <laughs>
0: well, we'll see what's going to happen with that coming up on February the 3rd. That is when HBO Max sees the return of Raised by Wolves. Abu, Amanda, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you.
4: Thank you.
0: You heard Amanda talk about Aaron just a couple of minutes ago. That is Aaron Guzikowski, who is the creator of Raised by Wolves. And he joined me as well, along with new cast members we have selena jones who plays grandmother yeah that should raise some eyebrows and King a- kim engelbrecht who plays decima as well let's hear what they think about joining this show so aaron i want to start off with you actually because we start off this season kind of a warmer place to say it. to you know and a little bit of an understatement there that we were last season so how much of a change will be will the tropical zone be and how much of a change is that going to be for mother and father's family
2: it's it's a very different environment they found themselves in. Um, beyond the fact that you know the natural environment is much different, it's much uh, you know it's abundant. There's fruit. It's very easy to survive here. You don't have to spend a lot of time and energy just trying to stay alive. And the other big difference is that they're now part of a colony. They're not just on their own anymore. They're part of this atheistic colony that is run by a quantum supercomputer that is supposed to be incorruptible, that can only make decisions that will benefit the collective at large. So on the face of it, you know, there are a lot of positives, but beneath the surface, it is actually uh, in some ways much more treacherous than the other side of the planet, uh, as you're finding a lot more ruins here, remnants of this ancient civilization, and starting to get into you know, uh, what all that means.
0: Most definitely. And it means a lot. Wait till you guys see it right off the bat, too. It's, it's incredible. Now, Kim, for you, we don't know a whole lot about Decima heading into this season, but we do know she's very smart. She's highly skilled. How much can you actually tell us about where we find her as this season begins?
5: Yeah, I think when we meet Decima, Decima is a quantum gravity engineer. Um, when we meet her, we meet her not on her own, but we meet her with a daughter who is an android made in the image of a deceased daughter. And she and her daughter, Vril, become the very first recruits of Marcus, who's, you know, starting something fresh. And I think immediately, right off the bat, she's confronted with this decision. Who do you fear or who do you follow? You know, she obviously then goes with Marcus, but he's got a little bit of a a kink in his cable. He doesn't like androids. And this creates a huge problem between the two of them.
0: Delina, when we first saw the character descriptions when you all were cast, you look at that name, you go, her name is going to be what now? So anybody that's that's a big fan of the show, that kind of just pops right at you. So you see the name Grandmother, obviously that gets fans speculating immediately.
3: So how much can you actually tell us about her? I can tell you that she is an ancient android built by father's fuel blood and a little bit fueled by his kind of, let me not say what his feelings are exactly, but his feelings about mother having her own serpent baby. So he has his own creation. I can tell you that the veil that you might see me wear in the trailer is a sensory filter. So because of my standing as a shepherd of humans from the beginning of time, I had to disengage from all emotion in order to make objective decisions about what's best for the human race, because my objective is to ensure the everlasting life of human beings. However, the veil comes off. So then emotions start playing around. Grandmother doesn't really know how to deal with those things. And that creates conflict when you're with two other androids and their children. What harm or danger do I pose? We don't know,
0: and that's going to be very, very interesting for sure. now the this this one's kind of for all of you. The trust kind of seems to be looming over the atheistic colony and and even beyond that, into where where Marcus and and Decima are as well. So in the trailer, it looks like Mother's certainly kind of a willing follower, but how much does this whole dynamic change this entire season for everybody involved, not just those living inside the
2: colony? You know, there's, on the face of it, you know, I think Mother is likes the trust. You know, they actually have a lot in common. Mother's uh, creator actually built the trust when he was a small child. So they have that commonality and they're, they're almost like brother and sister in an odd sort of way. But there's a big difference in the sense that Mother is all her hierarchy of importance is all about her children that's what comes first it comes before everything else whereas the trust sees all humans as a collective and there is no you know one person that it would pick out to say no no this is this person's more important than any other person so that's kind of where we see this these two on a collision course these two different belief systems as uh later in the season we'll see uh her children get into some issues that uh, the trust has different ideas uh, in terms of how they need to be solved.
0: Kim, for you, quickly, you, you talked about her linking up with Marcus at, at one point, And we find Kim in a very, we, we find desmond in a very different place when we meet her. How do you feel like Marcus changes her? Or do you feel like she's also kind of changing Marcus as well?
5: Mm, I think so. I think in terms of like her character, I think she comes, she comes completely from science but now she's trying to have this real relationship with her daughter of who she's created, and it's kind of like this human kind of interaction. And then she is kind of at that, that, that moment or point in her life where she decides, like, do you follow science or do you follow a person or do you trust yourself? So I think the really interesting thing about her is that you think you know her, but she kind of, she kind of wavers, you know, when she's moved by spirituality
0: eventually and, <laughs> yeah that is a big hmm because I know exactly what you're talking about because I've seen a little bit of it already so <laughs> but mm-hmm. at Selena one more for you we've seen how mother and father we even seen the trailer father says that they're becoming too human so could we see some maybe emotions out of grandmother as well or could we maybe see her more be more by the book maybe kind of bring the family back to their original mission?
3: I think the really interesting thing about Grandmother is that, yeah, you see her explore and feel emotions for like the very, very first time. It's almost like a child learning how to walk. So yeah, you will see it. And I think it's a really interesting journey as to who initiates those emotions, how she attaches herself to who makes those emotions happen within her and the repercussions of those.
0: And it's going to be an amazing ride this season. Season two of Raised by Wolves premiering on HBO Max on February the 3rd. Aaron, Kim, Selena, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. And if you love the first season of Raised by Wolves, this really cranks it up a notch. It'll keep everything that you loved about the first season, but now, like they said, bringing them into a colony kind of changes the game a little bit, different setting. These new characters really, really add a ton of intrigue to the show, and there was already so much intrigue anyway, but this really, really adds a lot more to it, especially to Marcus's story, I feel like, too, and how that evolves. And we didn't even talk about Sue a whole lot there either. There's a lot going on with Sue this season as well. So much going on. Make sure you're watching at the beginning of the second season of Raised by Wolves now streaming on HBO Max. You're not going to want to miss a second of this thing. Again, thanks to the creator and the amazing cast of Raised by Wolves for joining me to talk about season two this week. Up next, we'll switch gears and talk about Batwoman. Guess who just directed their first episode of the show? It's Camrys Johnson, who plays Luke Fox. Talk to him about directing and starring in the show next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
6: Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.
2: This is comic book writer Tom King, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This
0: week's episode of Batwoman was very special for a lot of reasons, not just because of what it meant for the Wildmore fandom, but just because it was an incredible episode altogether. One of the reasons for that is it was directed by by one of the stars of the series cameras johnson his first time directing an episode of course he plays luke fox on the show he's been on the podcast before i get a chance to talk to him once again about this big episode broken toys that aired this past week it is spoiler free just in case you haven't heard the episode so here's my conversation with cameras johnson from batwoman so cameras man it, normally we call you hey cameras johnson star of batwoman this week you're cameras johnson star and director Hey, yo! Of that one broken <laughs> toys, man. How excited? Are you? I know you're excited for every episode. I mean, seriously, but how excited are you to be a part of and direct this particular episode?
7: Dude, I could not be more excited. I, I got to tell you, man. So Natalie Abrams, Chad Five Ash, and James D'Orro, the, the writers of this episode, are three of the most talented writers I've ever met. So the fact that the three of them, all three of them, wrote this episode. I freaked out when I, when someone, like one of the other writers told me early and I I literally screamed on set. I was like, no way. <laughs> so when I read the script, of course it blew me away. It like Cause it has everything. It, it has the comedy, it has the action, it has the plot twist, it has the, 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 the bat allure. Like it has all the fun. And there was so much room for me to add all these, these ca- little fun cameras things here and there. I had such a good time, man.
0: There's one camera thing in particular where you do a really tight close-up that I, I, it's very subtle, but when people see it, it, it made such an impact for me. Yeah? You're pointing at me because you know exactly what I I'm do. About. That is the craziest thing. See, we're, we're right here, man. We're, we're right, right there. Here.
7: Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. I really went all out. And what's great about our crew, too, is I literally asked for so many things. Like, there was, for that specific thing that you're talking about, I asked for, like, 20 more tiny little things. So hopefully you can see them here and there. And then they made all of them. They were like, yeah, so we got them all approved and here are all of them. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, man, this episode's so fun.
0: Well, that was just one that that stood out to me. I know that there's there's others too, but that, it, was, uh-huh. it was early too. So that, that's always, that's pretty good too. But I mean, you're no stranger to being a director. I mean, you've done a few shorts. I mean, She Dreams at Sunrise being your latest, which is incredible. Thank uh, you, how, much, how much did that experience and those experiences help you to prepare for directing a full-length episode of a TV series?
7: Oh, man, in every way. I mean, She Jims at Sunrise. Also, shout out to the NAACP. I cannot believe they nominated me for a freaking Image Award. Like, holy cow. I woke up that day and my friend said, Congrats on the nomination. And I said, what nomination? Because <laughs> I forgot. I completely forgot we submitted. So thank you to everyone that and that one at the board there because that, that means so much to me. Making She Jims at Sunrise, man, it prepared me in every way and although it's animated it, it still is the reason that i showed up to set so confident to direct this episode because first of all we only had eight to ten weeks or so to make she jim to sunrise and if you know anything about animation that's insane because the short is about 10 minutes long in general the film itself is eight minutes and 46 seconds because we were honoring george floyd's so we wanted to be exactly down to the second of how long it took to take that that man's life so first it taught me so many things about time management it taught me so much about time efficiency and when you're directing tv that's that's everything that's that's that means so much is making your days finishing on time and figuring out how to do a lot of scenes a lot of action a lot of emotion in a in a a time frame that is not costly right so that was part of it another was being in a position where your crew is freaking out because <laughs> yeah. my my animators were like how the heck are we going to do this and there were days where they literally were like i don't know if we're going to make it and it's my job to be like guys we got this we're going to be fine and i'm going to tell you this story uh, one day i think it was day two or three of batwoman on my episode the crane broke and we had to shoot a couple scenes in the beginning of the day and we were 45 minutes behind so they were they said okay now that the crane broke. There is a way that we can fix this, but the only way is if we move the crane out, which takes 30 minutes, move the crane in, which takes 30 minutes, and we shoot the first scenes at the end of the day, meaning you have to do all your other scenes, including this giant bat wing Sophie action scene, and finish an hour early, just so we can get that crane stuff figured out. And my crew was like, ah! <laughs> but I was like, guys, guys, there's a way and we're gonna make it happen. And we did it, we figured it out. We And we finished, I think that day, it was either five minutes before, or we finished on the dot. Like we finished right on time. So our producing director, Holly Dale, who I adore, she came up to me as we were moving the cranes out. And she was like, you realize that if you actually finish this on time tonight, you're a hero. <laughs> so when we finished she walked up to me and she said congrats you're a real director and she hugged me and I think ever since then the episode just went so much smoother because we we got through the worst we got through the hardest thing and I wasn't even worried because I was like if I can make she at sunrise on the budget that we had and the time that we had I can I can get a crane in and out in an hour you know what I'm saying hero on screen and off screen. that's what they say
0: baby nice <laughs> very nice well done let's dive Thanks, into the elements man. of the episode a little bit though and I of course, we're yeah. not going to spoil anything. But, I mean, you send Ryan on, I mean, quite a journey and just one freaking episode. How was yeah, it working man. with Javicia to bring that, such a range of emotions to the screen in this episode? Because it's incredible.
7: Okay, listen. I know that you all realize that Javisia is a superhero on and off screen. And I know that you all realize that she works really hard just from watching the episodes themselves. But, boy, when you direct her, you realize she is like, a warrior she like i don't know how she does what she does to be honest with you there was a specific day i think it was day like three of my episode the first scene was a stunt scene so she's doing stunts in the beginning of the day the second scene is an emotional crying scene the scene after that i think is another emotional crying scene and then after that she does another stunt to end the day (laughs) so she did 12 hours of stunt crying crying and stunt and what was crazy is I was like dog you good and she was like hey man, this is what I do like this is she's like now you see this is my every day and she's like I gotta be here first thing in the morning tomorrow to do another stunt. <laughs> like, man, I am so incredibly impressed with her and she did such a great job in this episode man, she is a monster.
0: She really, really is, man. And it is incredible. But, I mean, you put Mary through it, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's been through a lot. And, you know, the whole Poison Ivy thing. I mean, those mental scars are so fresh. So where do we find her in this episode at the beginning, I think?
7: Well, when we find Mary, she's in this place where she just got past all of the Poison Ivy evil that she got over. No, sorry, not got over, it, but just finished. So she's still in this place where she's apologetic. She feels like she's not truly part of the bat team right now because she made so many mistakes. She turned on her friend, she turned on her own team. So she's in this place where she's having to figure out how to convince them to take her back, even though of course they love her, but she feels like she doesn't belong anymore. She feels that she has to earn their respect, earn their trust again. So she's in this in-between phase. She's sort of stuck in purgatory in a way where she feels like she is good, but she also just was evil. So, but it's not her fault, but it is her fault because she made decisions, even though it, decisions weren't her own. So she's in this really strange place trying to figure out how to earn her way back into the bat team to be in the position that where she was before.
0: No doubt about that. Now we can't talk about your episode without talking about Luke. I mean, we've gotten this far. We haven't even talked about Luke yet. That's Luke right. Without Dad's AI. He's back in Batwing suit though, so that's good. So do you feel mm-hmm. like we'll see in this episode how much Luke's kind of evolved and maybe come into his own at this point this season?
7: Yeah, quite a bit. I mean, what's interesting about Luke is that his relationship to his dad in a way is not the, the healthiest because you know, his dad passed so many years ago, he had so much time to mourn and grow from that lot, even though it's still been this heavy weight on his shoulders. So his AI, coming back like coming into his life this season in an interesting way is sort of interrupting his morning right because his dad in a way is in his life again so it's like his dad left his dad came back his dad left his dad came back his dad left again his dad comes back in this episode and I think What's interesting is we're slowly seeing him growing because he's getting this love from his dad, but it's not his real father. And in this episode, we'll, we'll see him getting closer and closer to finally letting go, but that's still gonna take him some time.
0: Ooh, that's a good tease. That's a really mm-hmm. good tease. Talking to Cameron Johnson, <laughs> who of course is the star of Batwoman and the director of this week's episode, Broken Toys, which you can watch on February the 2nd. That's Wednesday, of course, Batwoman Wednesday. Okay, Cameras. <laughs> Let's talk about that kiss here for a second in the, hey. uh, in, in, in the, in the previous episode. You know, Wildmore more fans are are talking about it, they haven't stopped talking about it. The video's everywhere. The gifts are everywhere. How much can you tease for us about what might be next for Ryan and Sophie? Because I, I, something's got to be next at this point.
7: I'll say, James, is uh, <laughs> I love where their relationship is and it's only going to keep growing. I love seeing the Walmart fans freaking out because we've been waiting for these moments for so, so, so long. So all I know is I got to grow with them in this relationship. I got to see how far we can take this relationship. I got to, and I I know the fans are gonna love what they see. I know the fans are going to freak out when they see how much, I always use the word love, that they have for each other. And uh, yeah, that's all I'll say. Yeah. (laughs)
0: It's been pretty obvious for me for a while now. As a matter of fact, when I asked Javicia about it, all she did was eat blueberries. So that's, <laughs> I
7: mean,
0: that, that's to uh, tell you all you need to know. Sounds
7: like Javicia, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Speaking of when I talked to her a couple weeks ago, she talked about how progressive that the series is and how exciting it is to have the first live-action African-American Joker on oh, Batwoman yeah. this season. And how much a bat, of a Bat fan you are from having you on the show in the past, how much mm-hmm. fun was it for you working with Nick on this episode and putting even just a small stamp on this character because it's great.
7: Man, the Joker is my favorite villain of all time of of any superhero lore. I love the Joker so very much and the fact that I get to work with a Black Batwoman and a Black Joker is just like the dopest thing ever, especially being Batwing myself. It just it fills me with all this joy. So man, I got to let you know <laughs> I went joker crazy in this episode <laughs> i did all i could i was like add this put that there this is the thing from a comic book that only happened one time 30 years ago put it in there i don't care like put everything all over the place because even if you don't notice it i know it's there and i know the crazy joker fans are gonna see it and they're gonna love it man when it comes to to nick i told him i think day one i said listen bro i love the joker laugh i love your Joker or laugh. So I'm going to need you to give me at least two in this episode, I'm going to I'm going to put it in like four or five scenes, they're going to cut some, but you're laughing throughout this episode as much as I can. Because that's like my favorite thing. One of my favorite things about the Joker is when you hear that dude laugh, it makes you smile, but it also creeps you out, right. And Nick has a really good one because he practiced it for quite some time before the show. And that's the reason it's so freaking good because he knew how important it was. Bro, oh, and even to down to the point where we got his outfit to sort of look a lot like Joaquin Phoenix's outfit in the new Joker movie. Man, dude, <laughs> like, I, had such a good time and don't even get me get me started on kiki roulette that's like a whole other fun thing that i got to do and i oh man <laughs> i get so hyped because even down to like the the lights i made like green and purple lights in certain scenes i put just like two scenes the green and purple lights just to add joker feels everywhere and for kiki roulette we really jokered her out we really made her crazy with the oh man i don't want to give anything away i'm gonna get so excited that i give a spoiler but i really had a good time with my joker
0: So all I can tell you is the line that kept going through my head when I was watching this episode is, where does he get those wonderful So hey! That, was, that came, man. That <laughs> came through my head so many times. I was watching this episode, so I know. I know what you were doing. I know, I know what you were doing. Thank you, fam. <laughs> Cameras. Before I let you go, man, one thing that I've always loved about the Airverse is that it really does feel like a family, and you all support each other across all the shows, past and present. So, what's it been like seeing all the love from Javisia, from Ozzy, from Candice, and so many more about this director Olivia?
7: Man, they're family. It, it, it's meant so much to see everyone reach out, everyone post, everyone share, everyone just say the nicest things. And even, I mean, even down to bringing up She Jims at Sunrise again, my animated short, the fact that Ozzy and Candace were willing to do it with me, like, like, and, and, and there was no question. I was like, Ozzy, hey, uh, I'm doing this short, and uh, she just went, yeah, whatever, sure, yeah. When do you want me? <laughs> that, like, I'm down. And Candace did the same thing. She's like, yeah, whatever. I'll come record in your closet <laughs> for this short film that you want to make. The fact that everyone is just so incredibly supportive means the world. And it goes all the way up to the, to the highest. It goes up to the Warner Brothers execs, the CW execs, Greg Berlanti and Sarah Trust me to direct this episode. The fact that everyone shows so much love means the world. And it means I'm doing something right, I guess. And man, if I could tell you all the lovely stories on set of my episode too, the cast really showed up. The cast really was there. They listened to everything, they did everything. Oh my gosh, they, they put in some performances in this episode and I pulled I pulled the heck out of them. Like there were some scenes that, since I've seen them act for so many years, I know what they can do. So some scenes, I let them do their thing and I would just walk up to them like, that was amazing. Let's just do something completely different just to see what happens. And then they do it and be like, awesome, that was great. Let's do something completely different <laughs> just to see what happens. And they give me these stunning performances and it just gave the editors so much, so much to play with. They gave me so many different options. So yeah, man, I I love my my fam. And
0: I'll tell you this right now: I think this is going to be the most talked about episode of Batwoman to date. Don't miss this thing. It's Dang, season man. three of Batwoman: Broken Toys it's going to be airing live on February the second. That's Wednesday at nine o'clock on the CW. But guess what? You're going to be running. To the cw app <laughs> to watch the sucker again i'm not even kidding because that's how good it is and and the moments that are in this episode you're going to want to relive them trust me and it's <laughs> a lot of it is thanks to this guy it's cameras johnson man thank you so much for thank the time. you man appreciate it means, you. means
7: a lot and
0: if you've already seen the episode you know the impact that it's made on this show as a whole never mind this season this show as a whole for a multiple amount of reasons this was the episode there's always an episode in a certain season of a show that you feel like this is this is the turning point. This is when the season's really kicking off and really going to heat up, and this, and I'm not even kidding, Broken Toys is that episode of Batwoman, season three, episode 11 of Batwoman. If you haven't watched it yet, make sure you go do that any way you possibly can and see how wonderful of a job Cameron Johnson did directing this episode. Always great having him on the show, and yeah, don't worry. Any more updates on Batwoman, you know I definitely got you covered. Once again, thanks everybody at the CW and Warner Brothers and Cameron Johnson for chatting about this week's episode of Batwoman. Up next, it's time to dig into some reviews. How about I talk about the new Reacher series that's on Prime Video? My spoiler free review of that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
6: Hey guys, this is Chloe Bennett from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. When
0: you try to find the roots of your favorite blues singer, sometimes he can give you the blues itself. That's right, Reacher is now streaming on Prime Video. I want to give me my spoiler-free review of this first season. Of course, this follows the Jack Reacher character that you know from the Lee Child books. And this is actually based on Killing Floor if you're a fan of the books already. And again, I'm not going to go through every little detail. I'm going to do this spoiler free anyway, so not going to be able to do that. But I will say this right off the bat, and you saw this in the trailer, and I talked about this before, and it's definitely confirmed as you watch the show. Alan Richson, it's almost like he was born to play Jack Reacher. This character is everything that we should have gotten in the movies, no disrespect to Tom Cruise, but just the stature and the attitude and just everything about Alan Richard's portrayal of this character just screams Jack Reacher to me. And it's like getting it right. But it's almost like I'm glad they didn't get it right in the movies. Or getting it right, I guess, is subjective. But I'm glad that it didn't work out the way it did the first time because then we probably would have never gotten this series, and quite frankly, doing a deep dive into the character like this and into the story, I think is better suited for series anyway, especially on Prime Video. So now, here's Jack Reacher in Margrave, Georgia. He's been discharged from the army. You know, he thinks he's just going to have a nice leisure little, little small town visit, and then he finds out this town is corrupt as hell, and the investigation kind of takes its, t- its turn from there. And it's... Part of this is somewhat your typical corrupt small town backwoods garbage that can go on. Where there's a very small percentage of people that are doing something really, really bad, and can corrupt some of the who should be uncorruptible members of the town. But again, it's, it's this series does have the trope of that of that typical corrupt small town thing. And then big guy comes in to kind of clean up the mess and whether or not he works well with the small town police department is also a manner of, you know, conjecture, you know, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. We saw some of that in the trailer working well, more with some than others, but I'm, you know, Hey, that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. But it's very interesting how the corruption starts and how it branches itself out. And it's also one of those things where, and you you used to find this in action movies back in the late 90s and early 2000s as well. I mean, you could even trace this back into the 80s too, if you like, where it's like, okay, how is it that the adversary even has a chance against Jack Reacher? There's times where you think that and then you see how they play the game. And, and, you, and, you, and you say, wow, you know, if you're going to combat somebody like Jack Reacher, that's kind of how you do it. So that's how you hang on to the intrigue of, okay, really, are these guys really even a match for this dude, these small-town idiots? Are they even able to take on Jack Reacher, even if he is by himself? And you see how they can kind of hold their own in that regard. As far as performances in this show, I got to say, Willa Fitzgerald's Roscoe one of my favorite characters on the show other than other than reacher because Richardson just does such a fantastic job. I love Roscoe so much. If we if this was just a brand new series and we were basing it on Roscoe's character, I'd watch that. seriously. that's how good Willa Fitzgerald is as Roscoe. I love her attitude. I love just her you know command of everything it seems like. even when it's somebody that you know either clearly outranks her or whatever. She doesn't matter. She comes into it with the same confidence and yet respect at the same time. It's the way that she presents herself, I think, is incredible and a character that I really, really enjoyed in the series. Also, Malcolm Goodwin is Finley. His dynamic with Jack Reacher and Alan Ritchson just on screen is, is really, really fun to play with it really really is and again it's another one of those things where you got a lot of that but i could have even gotten more of that quite frankly i could have definitely stood to have more of the finley jack reacher dynamic and and again watching how their relationship working or otherwise kind of evolves throughout the season is a really really cool thing to see as well the only thing that i that kind of bugged me and this is a common problem that a lot of shows can fall into. But it. But also, I want to preface this by saying that this does not derail my enjoyment of the show. I will say that much. And that is the flashback scenes. We do see flashbacks to Jack Reacher's childhood. Now, are are, are they necessary? I mean, kind of, in a way. Yeah, they're necessary. It, it certainly helps tell the story a little bit. And one of the twists in the story is that it, it kind of makes that more important. But... At the same time, I, I felt, and they didn't do it a ton. There wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of flashbacks, but at the same time, I felt like it really kind of took away from the momentum at times, of where the story was going. It's like I could have been elsewhere. I could have that's that's time that even if it's a small amount of time that I could have used staying in the main story. There, I feel like there's another way you could have worked that in, and it just would have been a little bit better. But at the same time. I thought that the investigation w- w- was, was fun. I thought that, you know, it was, is there a lot of deep mystery here as far as involvement and such? Not a ton. There's certainly some surprises. But I don't think that's what you're in it for. You're in it for the action. You're in it because you love the characters. And you're in it because you love the story of Jack Reacher. And you and maybe you're just a fan of the books. And if you are a fan of the books, you're going you're gonna to watch this and go, finally... Finally, this is what I've been waiting for all this time, and it's finally here. So yeah, Reacher, definitely worth it just for the action alone and some of the fun characters that you're going to find. If you're just an action movie slash action series nut, this one is gonna definitely going to be want to be on your watch list. So make sure you're watching Reacher episodes now streaming on Prime Video. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Reacher, the first season of probably many in my estimation. Up next, we'll jump over to Netflix and talk about Murderville. No spoilers there either. Well, maybe a couple. We'll talk about it next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
5: Hi, this is Amelia Doan from
4: Netflix's Rossi Tee, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy
0: Podcast. You heard me talk about the trailer on last week's podcast. How about a spoiler-free review now of Netflix's new improv-slash-scripted comedy, Murderville, and the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, you know, sometimes you just need something fun to watch in your watch list, and I was really hoping that Murderville would be that thing, and it actually stars Will Arnett as Detective Terry Seattle, Homicide Division. He always gets new partners, he can never keep one, but there's always a murder that needs to be solved, and in case you don't know the premise of this, in case you missed last week's episode of me talking about the trailer, Will Arnett is the main character of the show. They, he has the script, others on the show have the script, but who don't have the script are the partners, and that is the guest stars that are on this show. So Anne, Annie Murray was one, Conan O'Brien, Ken Jong, Kumal, Nanjani, Marshawn Lynch, and Sharon Stone. Those were your guest stars. They did not have a script, so it was all it all have to, had to be improved by them. They had to go with the flow. And yes, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, they say it's improved, and it's not. You could tell when they were caught off guard, and when they weren't, and when, you know, they kind of, broke, like Conan O'Brien at one point, he broke, and it was really, really funny, and Conan's really good at not breaking, so that should tell you how good Will Arnett was, and yes, this was everything that I wanted it to be, and more, if you're like a Reno 911 fan, mix that in with a little whose line is it anyway, I got some vibes from the Naked Gun trilogy as well, this thing had me rolling, and Will Arnett, solid freaking gold in this show. This character of Terry Seattle is every bit the goofball idiot detective that you want in a comedy series like this. And the way that... but what, what What's also cool about this is, is that it's not just funny. There's actual. You have to really... If you really pay attention... Because... You know, the, the, the guest stars, they have to decide who the murderer is. And there are clues throughout the entire episode. So if you're paying attention, you can kind of play along. And that makes the show even more fun, too. It's not just you're not just watching it for the funny and goofy moments. You're also watching it because you might be genuinely interested in who the killer is sort of thing. And yeah, the, you want to talk about Easter eggs. They're dropped all over the place. Because you can also find out who the killer is yourself. So you can have fun. And, you know, you can even watch this with a group. And I think it would be really, really fun. So I got to say, there were so many things about this that worked for me. And you get to kind of unravel Terry Seattle's backstory a little bit, which is really, really fun. And just the goofy, silly elements of this show. This was just done so well. And we only got six episodes, which was kind of a bummer for me. I really, really wanted more of this. And I really hope that we get more of this show. But I got to say, the one that surprised me the most was Marshawn Lynch, former NFL star. Obviously not a ton of acting experience. you know. Going into improv, though, maybe the best way to go about things. Because I got to tell you, he was hilarious. And he, d- he did a much better job than you would have thought that he did. He was very, very entertaining. And the, and he and Will Arnett worked really well together, too. You could almost see that pairing come back. And I think that would actually be really, really fun if they have few future episodes, have certain characters come back. I thought Marshawn Lynch did a really, really good job. Sharon Stone surprised me, too. And, you know, she's a great actress, obviously. But seeing her like this is a role you don't typically see Sharon Stone in. So I thought it was really, really neat to see her do this as well. I got to tell you, I can have a hundred seasons of murderville on Netflix and probably enjoy it every time. This is a show that for me will, will not get old. And I really, really hope that we see senior detective Terry Seattle back on the case for his second season murderville, all episodes now streaming on Netflix. Don't miss this one. It's a great laugh and it's a little bit of a mystery, that you'll have fun solving as well. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Murderville from Netflix up next. There's some interesting nerd news. We'll get to the bottom of that. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: This is Tara Strong, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
0: Weaving a very tangled web this week. It's time for nerd news. And the first one comes, first reported by Deadline, that Dakota Johnson... Is going to be playing Madame Webb in the upcoming Spider Man spin off. I guess you'd call it Spider Man spin off. She's one of the characters slash villains in Spider Man stories. Madame Webb going to be played by Dakota Johnson. Yes, you probably know that she was in Fifty Shades of Grey. I mean, she's been in some other stuff too, but that just seems to be the one that people gravitate back towards, right? And if you don't know anything about Madame Webb, Cassandra Webb is the character. From Marvel, she lives in Oregon. she has this rare neuromuscular disease. she's paralyzed, she's blind, but she's got these psychic powers's got t- telepathy, clairvoyance, and things like that and she just happens to be hooked up to this life sports machine that looks like the giant spider rep. okay, but here's the thing if you're not familiar with the character, this is usually an older woman in the comics and I when I say usually, I mean almost exclusively. So casting Dakota Johnson, you automatically look at that and you go, all oh, right, that's interesting. So that begs the question, are they going to age her up or this, is this going to be a younger Madam Webb? And here's what I think. This is just my opinion. They're going to do what they want. That's basically what, what we're being told right now is that, hey, we like Dakota Johnson so we're just going to cast her and be done with it. And I'm sure she nailed the audition too, by the way. And, and all I ever want, and you've heard me say this a million times if you've listened to the show before, all I really want is for the best person to get the job. That's it. If somebody goes in there and nails the audition, I don't care what the circumstances are. That is the person that should get that job. And, and if they do a great job because they nailed the audition and they really care about the character, then, then we win, right? We get the character that we want. So I'm sure she did that. But at the same time, you know, you see social media bringing up a a bunch of different older female actresses saying, you know, this person was right here and you didn't cast them. Uh, Were they right there, though? We don't know that. See, we're not really privy to the audition process most of the time, right? We don't know who's auditioned for this role. So it's not like you can go out there and say, like, say, I don't know, Helen Mirren. You can't say that Helen Mirren actually auditioned for this and didn't get it over Dakota Johnson. We don't know that. Helen Mirren's probably got other stuff going on, right? So there's no guarantee that she was even a part of this. Plus, they don't have to agree to do this either. Just because you think somebody's right there doesn't mean they wanted to do it. That's the other thing. Not everybody wants to be in a Marvel movie, especially a Sony Marvel movie, with all due respect. But come on, let's be honest. This movie's a stretch anyway. I mean, if we're really, really being honest, I mean, you've got Jackpot that's in production from Sony as well in the Spider-Man world, universe, whatever you want to call it. And now you've got Madam Web. It just seems like, let's just take every Spider-Man character that's ever been in a comic and throw them out there because people love Spider-Man and, you know, Madam Web and people will get it. Okay, will they though? And is the, is the character a cool character? Yeah, it's a cool character, and it could certainly be a cool story, but this is one of those things where you go, I don't know that this is a great idea. And Dakota Johnson, I'm actually kind of surprised she hasn't been cast in a Marvel or DC project up to this point. So I'm very curious to see how she does and if it's cool great i mean that's a bonus to me if any of these movies these offshoots are good they're bonuses as far as i'm concerned if you want to be mad about something be mad at the fact that you've still got spider gwen out there that needs to be made the the whole silk i think is getting an amazon series now if i remember correctly so that that's going to be done eventually so so that's something I know that you're clamoring for another Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie that may or may not ever happen. And I've gone on record as saying, I didn't think that Andrew Garfield was a bad Spider-Man. I thought it was a lot. There was a lot working against him. That wasn't his fault. But in, you know, the writing wise didn't make him a very good Peter Parker, but I I just don't know about this. I really, really don't. And, and I hope for the best for it. Obviously I just don't have high hopes that this is going to be super awesome but we'll have to see what happens as far as titans goes that series has certainly been very very popular on hbo max and even before that on dc universe but here's the deal now we know who the villain for season 4 is going to be and it's going to be brother blood and also bringing along plenty of help with him got mother mayhem's going to be in this jinx going to be cast in this as well and joseph morgan from the originals is actually going to be playing sebastian blood aka brother blood you're also going to have franca pontente who is going to be playing mother mayhem and those are going to be series regulars by the way and then lisa on going to be playing jinx in a recurring role this season and to me this is yet another good choice For Titans, who's done a fantastic job at choosing their villains. You do the Red Hood Scarecrow thing last year. and What they did with Scarecrow to me was incredible how they made that whole thing work and the way they brought Barbara Gordon in. I just thought they crafted the last season of Titans really, really well. You had Deathstroke before that as well. You were kind of dealing with Trigon earlier on in the series for season one and some others as well. But they have really progressed nicely, and of course, we saw Brother Blood on the Teen Titans animated series, if I'm not mistaken. Also, we remember these, we saw this character in Arrow as well. But here's the deal: this is the chance to really open this character up and make Brother Blood really brutal and really creepy, and just give you those really just creep vibes from this character, like you should. By the way, you this is a this is a character that can make you feel really uncomfortable and Titans has shown that they will go all the way when they are doing something. Some of the stuff that Scarecrow was up to last season, I was pretty messed up. I was really, really bad. So yeah, I think that this is a chance to really, really give us the brother blood that we've been waiting for on screen. And I think that, you know, what, what perfect way to work this in then this season and then to bring along Mother Mayhem and Jinx, As well, although something tells me they're going to try and hero Jinx up. I don't know why. I just have this gut feeling that they're going to end up trying to do that and maybe turn her a little bit. I don't know. Just call me crazy. It's just a gut feeling. Will it play out or not? I don't know. Probably not. But we'll have to see how it goes. But this just gives you another reason to look forward to Season 4 of Titans on HBO Max because they just keep getting it right. This is a show that... You know, just went all in, decided to be way more adult and just made it really, really work so far. And I am really looking forward to seeing what they can do with this Brother Blood character because this this show has shown that they can really take things to the next level. I want to talk about Book of Boba Fett for a second because Cad Bane finally made his live action debut in this past episode, episode six, I believe it was, of the Book of Boba Fett, if that's what you can even call it anymore. And I want to talk about something. I want to talk about this because I wanted to address something that you see a lot. And it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. And that was a fan that tried to fix, quote unquote, fix the look of Cad Bane because they didn't like the coloring. They didn't like the shape of the face, stuff like that. Okay, listen, let's just be on again. We're being honest this week. Apparently, let's just be honest. The character, while it wasn't spot on, what you would have seen in the Clone Wars, It wasn't that far away, okay? It wasn't like the whole Sonic thing. Remember those? when we first saw Sonic in that first trailer for the Sonic the Hedgehog movie and we're like, hold on a second, that's not happening. We're going to have to do something different. Unless it is a hugely drastic, like, eye-popping, we have got to sound the alarm bells thing, stop fixing stuff, with all due respect, by the way. Stop fixing stuff. This didn't really need fixing. It's you know you know making the shade a little darker, shaping the nose a little differently, nose area if you want to call it that. It didn't need fixing. There was nothing wrong with the way the character was presented, and quite frankly, just the the, the mannerisms of the, of the character. I thought they got, they did pretty well. So and, and you want to talk about a pretty badass introduction? I think they gave Cad Bane just that and really brought this character into this world and saying, hey, guess who's here now? This is gonna be a problem. So I don't think there was anything wrong with the look and I just that just bugs me when fans do that. So I just want to throw that out there. I also want to throw out the fact that I mean if you're watching the show, it's like a routine eye exam now, isn't it? They have no idea what the prescription's gonna be. So it's like do you like one or two? Three or four? A or be. And you're kind of hoping that, you know, based on our answers, they're going to get it. Obviously, they're not changing the show while they're doing it. But it's like they said, well, you know, if, if people don't like this, as long as they stick around, we're going to give them this. And then we're going to give them this. And we'll bring Grogu back. And we'll we'll make him choose. And we'll have Luke Skywalker. And everything's going to be. People are going to be just so happy. Well, it's not a Boba Fett show anymore. And I know it's the book of Boba Fett. It doesn't say the Boba Fett show. It's a freaking Boba Fett show. And has been from the beginning until they decided to veer off into this tangent into an alternate 1985. Just, you know, to turn a phrase. It, the, the, I understand why you're doing it. You know, you're, you're building up for this whole war, and you need bodies, and you want to remind people. You don't need to have to remind anybody who the Mandalorian is, okay? And, and the way I see this is that Grogu's going to choose the, the armor and come swooping in, and Grogu's going to save the day when all hope looks like it's lost. That seems like that's where this is headed, does it not? But I don't know. I didn't dislike what they were doing in the beginning. I didn't mind the slow burn. And then you give me this stuff, and you kind of veer off, and you lose what your way of the original story that you were telling in the first place, and you never really got deep enough into the whole organized crime aspect that I was kind of hoping for. And it's not like they're making the show for me, but you had a chance... To do that, and you veered off into... At this point, this show's veered off into so many tangents, I don't know what to expect anymore. And I don't even know if that's a good thing or a bad thing either, by the way. But, you know, The Book of Fett's only got a couple episodes left, and I have no idea how they're going to wrap this thing up in the couple of episodes that they have left. We'll just have to wait and see. One more thing that actually came out last week, and since it's not a ton of news this week, I want to go back and talk about it, and that is the live-action Masters of the Universe movie... That was ditched and kicked to the curb by Sony, is now back on track with Netflix. How about that? Thank you again, Netflix, who is who are our saviors once again. So the movie's back on track. Noah Centineo, Centineo is not on board though, so I, that that is one thing that, that has definitely changed. The Knee Brothers now going to be co-directing this thing. The screenplay going to be done by the Knees and David Callahan, who also did. Shang-Chi, and Wonder Woman 1984. So it's like, yay, and okay. So Kyle Allen, who's kind of a newcomer, he's done a few things, is going to be playing He-Man slash Prince Adam in the movie. And Now, you, you probably saw him in West Side Story. He also was in season eight of American Horror Story. Hasn't done a ton of stuff, but that is going to be your new He-Man. And production's not even going to start on this thing until the summer of this year. So, you know, Kyle's definitely got a chance to to bulk up and, and you wonder how much of this is going to be CGI and how much of this is going to be practical effects. But I'm kind of glad that this is back on track and I really hope they do go more practical effects, at least as much as they can with some of these characters. Because I think that this is the kind of thing that could look really, really cool. You see, you know, like the Witcher's done a very good job with that. Obviously, they've used some CG there as well, but only using it when it's necessary. I think it's really neat. It'll be interesting to see. I'm guessing they're going to go the Skeletor route because there was a couple of quotes in here from producers and things like that that say can't wait to see him battle Skeletor. So it's probably not going to be Hordak and maybe it shouldn't be for our first live action movie anyway. So I, I'm excited though. I think this is going to be a really neat thing that Netflix is doing and I can't wait to see the first look. That first look means everything. You know that and I know that and we'll have to see how that one shakes out. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to the amazing cast of Raised by Wolves for joining me this week. Also, Cameron Johnson from Batwoman. You want to follow along with what we've got going on on social media? Go to Down and Nerdy 757 on Twitter and Instagram, and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook, and always online at Down and and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.